Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today I'm speaking to Mr. Zane Lamprey. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I am Zane Lamprey. I think you did a fantastic job. <laughs> don't 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 sell yourself short. You got my, my name right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I was thinking about this because I, I I've listened to your podcast, and I know that that's how you start off the the show. And I was thinking about that because I um I, we, we had this conversation about when, when when we were traveling, right? When people were traveling, and you'd be in a plane. And usually nowadays, everyone has their device. Everyone's got their their earbuds and their and their headphones, and they're kind of like in their own little personal bubble. But but sometimes you have someone next to you, you know, maybe it's like an older person or whatever that that's not. But this is more relevant to when we were traveling, shooting three sheets and drinking made easy and whatever. That see, people would say like, "So what do you do?" And you're kind of like, "Okay." If I want to engage in conversation, I tell people, uh, okay, well, I host a TV show where I travel around the world and I drink with people to learn about their cultures. And then if, if, if I give that response, then I'm basically talking about myself because it's interesting, right? So people want to know. Right. And so they're I'm answering their questions for the rest of the flight. Um, and, and then I've been, tr- we've been trying to figure out if like, what's the, uh, what the answer is if you just want to kind of not engage, you know what I mean? So like, what, what is, what is a profession that you could say that would have no follow-up, you know, you know, questions. So, you know, sometimes we just say accounting and then they just, and then they just look out the window for the rest of the trip. (laughs) But, but, you know, but, but I guess the, 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 the direct answer to that is, uh, I guess since 2006. So I guess, 15 years, my job has been to travel around the world and drink and getting to know people through their, through their, their drinking customs and stuff like that. So I've done four shows, uh, with drinking. I did a food show. Um, I did a, for the food network. Um, so at this point I've been to about 71 countries, 72, if you count the Vatican, which I do. Um, <laughs> Cause I had a little wine there just a little bit. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, look, it's like shows come and go, but the brand stays alive. So I, I also have an apparel company, which is, is, which isn't just a, something that I have in passing. It's a, it's a, it's kind of, it's, it's a beast. It's called adventure, uh, ADV three N T U R E. So the, the, the three is in there because we plant three trees with every purchase. So that is a, a brand that I own that is run out of Seattle. Uh, I'm in Los Angeles. And um, I'm also about to embark on a 90-city stand-up tour, which I'm doing at breweries across the country. Uh, uh, and those tickets started selling at on my website, zanelamprey.com. Uh, on Wednesday, it is now... Three days later, four days later, and we've sold 3,000 tickets, and several of the events are sold out. And the crazy thing about it is we were set to roll out our marketing on Monday, you know, <laughs> and here we are in a situation where, like, Boston is sold out. Wow. Can't sell any more tickets in Boston. It's like, you know, and, and Newark is, well, it's, it's actually Carlstad, but, like, in New Jersey, that's sold out. Minneapolis sold out, and a few, other are, are, a few others are close close behind, so... That, that is what I will be doing, 90, 90 cities from uh, June 1st until December 18th, and I will veritably be on the road. I think in September I'm home for four days. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot to unpack, and, and as you said, you wear There is a lot. Let, let's, let's start to unpack it, yeah. You, have, uh, you wear a lot of hats like I do. When, uh, yeah. Just a quick side note. When are you going to be in Jersey? Is that in the middle or the end of that? Um, I am going to, you know, it's funny because a guy reached out, he said, uh, you know, I, I bought tickets. So I, I kind of have a, a mentor, someone who I've worked with before, Mark Cuban, and I learned, I learned a lot from him. And one of his things is he, he, he his email address is public. He, you want to email him, you email him. And, um, um, 
So my email address is public. If people want to email me, they email me. It's it's <laughs> ZaneLamprey at gmail.com. It's pretty difficult difficult to find. But some guy just emailed me. He's like, hey, I bought tickets for um, your show in Jersey. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll see you soon. You know, like whatever. <laughs> and he said, it's in six and a half months. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's like, I, I, I get it wrong, but it's it's somewhere in, around, I think, October. Got it. Or something like that. Which is amazing because it's so far away and it's sold out. And you're just like, okay. Sitting waiting. And it, you can't really add dates because the entire the entire schedule is full. We might right. try to add one per date, but um, yeah. So it's a, it's at Bolero Snort. Oh, I know where that's at. We're doing the the. I mean, there's a lot of exciting things about the tour. One of them is that we are doing collaboration beers with the breweries. So on the night of the event, we'll unveil a collaboration brew that we've done through adventure and uh and and each of the breweries and rather than the money going to plant trees for the breweries or for the for the for the beers that are sold um they'll actually be donations made to a local pet rescue so my wife and i uh have a, a pet rescue pumpkin patch pet rescue and we've rescued probably probably about 200 animals in the last three years probably. Um, and there's always a menagerie at the house. (laughs) And so, you know, and then rather than any of the money going to our, our charity, we wanted to go to the local, the local community. So the money from the beer, the collaboration beer, none of it, none of it comes to me or adventure. It all goes to the brewery and, and to a local, uh, pet rescue, which is what I'm excited about. Will there be kittens at the events was the next question you were going to ask me. I don't know. I don't know. Stop that's pressuring a, me. That's spectacular. I, I yeah. love that idea. I was going to get into a couple of questions that you kind of brought up. Sure. Um, but uh, I want to jump real quick to a, a thank you because it's a conversation that you had with Bert Kreischer a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, something to the effect of, you know, about people getting into podcasting and, and both you and Bert made it very clear that if you want to do it, just fucking do it. And yeah. that, that was one of the... Was that on things. my podcast or his podcast? I think it was his. Yeah. I, I don't recall. I just noticed the two of you were, were discussing it. Yeah. Um, but I have to thank you and him for that because it's you guys were part of the reason it really got me to driving into getting to where I am in now. So just wanted to, yeah. to thank you for that a little bit of encouragement. I, I appreciate you that. I'll, I'll, I'll pass it on to Bert too. I mean, the interesting thing is Bert, Bert and I have had some legitimate ups and downs in our, in our careers. Yeah. And, and the one thing that we both have seen is people start things and not finish them. Um, and there's so much competition in call it our industry. So Bert and I, a little bit more specifically in the, the traditional entertainment industry that, that if you, if you think you're going to come out here and just rise to the top based off of your talents or your, or your good looks, you are in a city, you know, an industry that is, that is nothing but talent and good looks. Right. So if you don't, if you don't throw hard work and perseverance into the mix, you're, you're not going to make it work. And so that was, yeah, that's the thing. If you're going to do a podcast, you do it. It might take you a month, more likely it'll probably take you a year. Yeah. It might take you a few years, but at some point you will get better your content will get better and you'll, you'll get a following following unless you stop, which, which, which yours doesn't, your podcast is great. So I appreciate that. I appreciate it a lot. (laughs) So more into you, where, where are you from originally? Syracuse. Was this kind of your plan coming out of high school was to do what you do or did you have another trajectory you were really looking to plan on? You know, it's, it's really interesting because it should have always been my trajectory trajectory. I always thought that I wanted to be a veterinarian until I probably hit high school. Then in high school, I excelled as a, as a, as an artist, as a, as a painter, actually. So I won a lot of awards for like my paintings and my oil paintings and stuff like that. So that was what I went to college for. And when I was in college, I just didn't really see me you know, I went to college in um, in Cortland, Cortland, New York, and you go down to New York and kind of get into the art scene there because if you were going to be a painter, that's you know you you move to New York City. 
if you know, and if, and if you were American, or you could move to you know, Paris or whatever it is. But like that's you know that's kind of it. And I just didn't dig the the pretension of the art world. Right. And I don't I don't think anybody could argue that it is not incredibly pretentious. So it's like going and creating art and then marketing yourselves or, or yourself is two, are two things. So I switched my my major midstream probably after my sophomore year, so my junior year, I switched to pre-med. And I did a whole semester without a drink <laughs> and and got great grades. And then I was just like, okay, I think I think I have something to, something else inside me. So I marched into the theater department and I said, I want to act. And I had done a lot of theater as a kid. Like I was like Winthrop and the Music Man. And I was, you know, I, I did a lot of big performances uh, by Syracuse standards, um, you know, and, 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 you know, city performances and stuff like that. And so I figured I wanted to do it. So he said, well, audition for a play. I went in and I auditioned. And this is not a story that anyone's really ever heard. I went and I auditioned and uh, just to do it. And I get a call from not the guy I talked to, but the director of the play, who's another guy in the theater department. And he was a Vietnam vet and with like a long gray beard, long hair and little linen glasses. And he was a chain smoker and he's just a rough, rough kind of guy. <laughs> really weird that he was a theater guy. But um, and he calls me up. He's like. I don't know who you are or where the hell you came from, but if you screw this up, I'll play the part myself. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, are you telling me I got it? He goes, you got it till you don't. I'm like, okay. So I got the lead and the play, and and it was in a, um, a Lie of the Mind uh, was the name of the play by Sam Shepard. And um, and the my co my my brother in that play was Steve McKenna. And so Steve, that's where Steve and I became friends. And, and Steve is now my my buddy who's been in a lot of the shows that right. I've done. People know Steve because he is, is a voracious uh, party or drinker. Uh, not anymore. He's, 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 he's on the wagon now, but officially. But um, but so I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. So so after, so after I, I finished up art with a minor in theater. I, so I, so I still graduated graduated a degree in fine arts. I have not touched oil paint since I graduated. Uh, I do miss it a little bit, but uh, not enough to mess up my my garage and my clothes with it. But, um, and, and I've switched it all to my graphic design and stuff like that. But the um, uh, that was my trajectory. So after college, I, um, I I went to the Hamptons because I had done that during the summer to go bartend to make money. So I finished my summer in the Hamptons. And I moved out to L.A. And then I thought I was going to be an actor. And then come to find out, you know, they were not just handing those jobs out. But I went to one hosting audition and found out that I was kind of a natural at it. And then that was kind of, that was it. So that was the path that got laid out before for me. So it wasn't even like doing stand-up. Um, stand-up didn't come for a while later, although I've really always had it in my, in my blood. But I didn't start working at it, which is really important, um, you know, until about 11 years ago, which is crazy. 11, 12 years ago. Um, so yeah. So anyway, Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, you started with three sheets was your first hosting show. Um, or was there something else before that? Yeah, no, 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 that was it. That was it. I, I had done before that. I did, um, I did, uh, a show on MTV called damage control, which is kind of like the, the sister show to punked. <laughs> it was like you would a kid would. It, it was kind of weird. So it was a kid. It was it was always a boy, and they and and what they would do is the parents are in on it. The kid was usually a college kid. They'd say, "Can you come home for the weekend?" Like it's a local college, whatever. Can you come home for the weekend? It's from, from a local college, and 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 uh, stay here. We're leaving town. We just fixed the plumbing, and you need to be here just in case it blows or whatever. Like that was that was usually the excuse. And then the house was outfitted with cameras, like thirty cameras, and um, and then we would slowly introduce one character who would call his friend, who would call his friend, and it would I would turn into like thirty people in the house, and the kid would find himself into into in a situation where like 
wait, this is, I, how do I get out of this? I got, I, I got myself in too deep, but slowly. But you have to think for any, you know, this would be like 19-year-old boys, right? 19, 20-year-old boys alone in the house. You know, what does a 19-year-old boy do when he's alone in his house? <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I, I think the devastation when the kid was like, wait, there's cameras everywhere, everywhere was not, oh, my God, what a crazy situation. It's just like, oh, my God, did you see me when I was, you know, taking care of myself when I was you know, in the back? <laughs> So that's usually why they, why they, why they were just, the people were just like devastated, I think. So the reaction was kind of twofold. So that I did that show. That show didn't get picked, picked up for a second season. I went and auditioned for uh, a show called You Should Open a Restaurant, which was they turn your house into a restaurant for the day. And they needed a sous chef and a chef and a bartender and a host, whatever. So my manager sent me in. And I was sitting there talking with them, and I and they started laughing, and I was making them laugh, like we were. I was just telling stories, and they go, "Sorry, this this is not this this part's not right for you." I'm like, "Oh, all right, whatever." And I talk about this in my standup, and they said, "No, you, you understand. This is for the host of the restaurant to, to seat people. This isn't the host of a show. This is your your manager read it wrong." <laughs> and it's like, "All right." So I I left, and I'm walking down the hall, and and they come running after me, and they're like. Wait, we were doing a show called Three Sheets where you travel around the world and drink. Is that something you'd be interested in doing? I'm like, uh, yep. <laughs> and that, so that was it. So I did Three Sheets. I did four seasons of that. That network went off the air. Then I did three seasons of Drinking Made Easy from Mark Cuban's channel. Um, and then I did uh, Chug, which ended up on Nat Geo and Netflix. And then I did Four Sheets two summers ago or uh, drink TV. I'm, I'm always, there's always one in the works. There's several shows in the works right now. I mean, we'll see what happens. There was a few that were supposed to go and then the pandemic hit. I was supposed to do a show and stand up last year. And that's the great thing about being a travel show host and a, and a comedian in a pandemic is there's nothing to, I mean, you know, not that there's nothing to do because <laughs> I still have my apparel company, but there's no revenue coming in. So right. that, that is a, a very sobering uh, experience for a lot of people in, in my industry and a lot of industry, a lot of people that are listening. It's like, I picked the two things that a pandemic could just completely derail. <laughs> very, very abruptly. Yeah. Yeah. Very abruptly. Given all of the places you've been to, do you have a, a favorite exotic food or, or place to, to drink? I guess what would be the your most exciting place that you would recommend people go to? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin that, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you two things that I have not ingested, and one of them is a drink, and one of them is a food. Well, the drink I did ingest it was it was Viper rum, and it was rum that had a dead snake in it, Ugh. and it's 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 kind of nasty, and I and I, and this is something that goes against everything that I stand for, but they put a snake in a bottle, and then they drown the snake in the rum right so which is just cruel, cruel and 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 now it has the snake and the snakes you know when it crafts itself and whatever so you drink that and it was entirely nasty and and since we're on video but what everyone else is not i did take the bottle and there's a snake Can you see this Ugh. where's that from that's from uh belize uh, that was nasty. The other thing is, and every every one of your Filipino listeners will understand this. There's a food called balut, B-A-L-U-T, and balut is a um, is an is a duck egg that has been fertilized, and a duck egg, I think, reaches its its hatching point about 18 days or 24 days, whatever it is. Half of that time, after half of that time, they hard boil it. And you crack open the egg, you sprinkle on a little salt and vinegar, and what you have is the yolk sac and a nearly formed duck with the beak and feathers and everything sitting on top of it. And you're supposed to just eat the whole thing like we would eat an oyster. Now, by the way, oysters are disgusting. I'll eat oysters, but it it is nasty, right? But like this thing is, I couldn't do it. I, I was sitting there, and this was like the beginning of season two, I think. And I was sitting there, and I was like, 
and I just arrived, and I was a little tired. I really wasn't like necessarily like in the mood to drink, and I had a long day at the next day ahead of me to, of drinking, so I didn't really want to like drink a lot. And the guy with me wasn't really drinking, so I was like, I did have like three or four beers, you know, like um, these are you know macro, you know, loggers. Like every country has their own lager. So it's like after four beers, it's not like drinking four craft beers. Right. After four craft beers, you'd be, you know, you'd be, you'd be good. But <laughs> I, I think I drank three or four beers just to see if I could get my courage up to eat it. And I was like, nope. Again, it's kind of just, I don't know, just feels like something mean, <laughs> mean yeah. and really nasty. So <laughs> there, there's the answer to the question. But, but I will answer, I will answer the question. It's, it, it kind of, so your, your question is kind of like, what is a drink that I've loved and what's a place that I've loved? Is yeah. that kind of it? Okay. So, you know, the one that, look, every place that we have gone, we have um, researched it to the point where it's justified that we go there. And so when, and, and when we go there, it's not like a traditional trip. We're, we're brought to the best places and basically given red carpet treatment at those places where the owner shows you around or whatever it is. So it's like every time we go, there, there's never been a trip that was like, oh, that was dumb. You know, like they're all like, they've all, 100% of them have been have been amazing. Right. But it depends what time of the year it is. Right now, I'm in LA. It's a little warm. So I might say nostalgically like, going to Ireland or, you know, like Galway was kind of a, a, a great experience when it's cold out. I'll often say like Tahiti or Fiji, you know, those are pretty easy answers, but, but like, you know, Oktoberfest, Munich was amazing. Paris was amazing. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. And as far as a drink, I think the great thing is that every place we go, we have a different drink, but the one that popped in my mind for whatever reason, I don't know was is an Aperol Spritz, and I don't even know that we, we featured it in a show. Yeah, we did. We did. We featured it in, in Venice, in Venice, Italy. But uh, my wife and I went to Rome years ago, and we said, we said, let's set our alarm for every hour, and every time the alarm goes off, we have to find a place to get an Aperol Spritz. I think we got, I think we got through about five, five hours. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily even the spritzes as much as it was the inconvenience of the alarm going off and going like, Okay, where's the closest bar? We got to find this, whatever, because then it takes time, and then you leave the bar after what you know, twenty five minutes, and then you kind of get into something else, and then your alarm goes off again. We're like, okay, this was dumb, but but it was fun. It was a, it was a fun, and that wasn't wasn't part of the show. That was just something that her and I would do. So, having a, a kind of a general understanding of what it is to produce things, what is yeah. the the shoot schedule like? Like, how what kind of you obviously said that you there is preparation, there's research that goes into where you're going to go. What is the shoot schedule like for you guys? You know, it's interesting because I, I brought up my buddy, Steve McKenna. And Steve has been with me on, I would say, 70, 70 um, episodes. Um, and so he's probably been on about 400 shoots. And Steve is not a rocket scientist. But it just... It, it, when we get there, we've planned it out so well that he doesn't even realize what goes into it. The fact that, like, he thinks, like, you arrive at, um, I'm like, uh, like, uh, uh, Rubicon. I'm, I'm thinking of an example. So we went to Rubicon, which is now Inglenook, which is, um, Francis Ford Coppola's winery. And we went there and drank wine with Larry Stone, who was one of the first, Americans to get the title of master sommelier. And, and so like we went in there and drank with him and we had a great time and whatever, by the way, at the end of that, we had a few glasses of wine and Larry said, Hey, if you guys want any wine, I'm happy to give you my employee discount. And I was like, Oh, you know what? We're good. We we're, we're, we're traveling and whatever. And, you know, we're, we're on the buses and whatever. I'm like, well, wh why, what's your, what's your discount? He said 50% off. I'm like, Oh, so I ended up spending a thousand dollars, and it, because I was drunk, it was so stupid. But and 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 my wine, my wife and I bought a case or two cases of their 
they're amazing wine and we we've only found like two occasions to drink them on and that was 10 years ago so so steve so it just goes so smoothly larry's there waiting they got a place set up for us we bring the lights in mic everybody up it just goes so smooth because we're all pros that steve just doesn't understand the the emails then the phone calls then the skypes and and all the stuff that goes into like setting up that location right like for months ahead of time you you, you email them you know hoping to get an email back then you set up a phone call and you just kind of like got to get them feeling comfortable with you so that they are going to open up their doors and they know that you'll represent them in the right way so we send them episodes we send them clips and all this kind of stuff and then by the time we arrive everyone's best friends and like what do we do so my my wife mel is one of the producers and then uh our friend josh i mean he was a producer first and now he's a friend um is, is the other producer and they produce this stuff together and they're very very good at what they do and they're very um uh kind and and easygoing so like it's just they're people are receptive to them and trust them and know that when Josh and Mel show up, everything's going to run smoothly. So, you know, we'll, we'll probably, for an episode of, let's say, we, we the last thing we shot was four sheets. So, like, let's say we, we shot at uh, Santorini, Greece. We arrived on, call it day zero. And then we shot on day, day one, two, three, four, and then traveled on the day five. So we... We have about four shoot days there. Uh, Santorini is easy because it's a small island. It was easy to drive around. Some places like Switzerland, we did an episode of Switzerland. We had to cover a, a, a bigger area. But Switzerland is a very small country. <laughs> so that was easy to drive around too. But, you know, it's about four four shoot days and then travel days on either side. And then you're probably doing a maximum of two shoots per day. Um, we've done three, but it's, it's a lot because – you got it. People have to know, like, for every minute of television, it's an hour of shooting, recording. Usually. Yeah, yeah, recording. So, um, yeah, it's 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 long, but but um, we've we've kind of gotten it down to science. We've tried to trim it down before, but it's but if you're if you're hustling a little too much, it makes it not fun. And it's not that we need our lives to be fun, but if we can tack on one more day to just make it less stressful. And everyone gets along better, and everyone everyone has a, a, a better time. Right. I I'm allowed to get sleep so that I can be in a good spot every time I need to interview someone. So, um, yeah. So the short answer is Syracuse. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm guessing because of all the prep, you you haven't run into many times where you've run into um, we'll call it less than pleasant reactions from locals and things like that. Well, that, so we made. I, I, that mistake was made twice um, in shooting three sheets, and so we knew to avoid it. There's a few rules, which are absolutely unwritten rules, because because these are not common situations for people to get into. The, the rule is, there's two rules. One, be there early. So if you're doing a night shoot, like in the summer, it gets dark at what, nine, call it? You, you show up a night shoot at six. Right. You start shooting at seven. You you finish shooting at nine. That's it. Like you don't go into the, you go after nine and you can you get in trouble. What what the the other thing that you you need to do is you need to get there when they're closed. So the um, let's say you go to a, a bar, they're closed. You get there at you know six because they're a nighttime bar. You get there at five or whatever it is or four. And then, or, or maybe you get there and there's only a few customers there. Um, you get in there, you start setting up lights. We have to turn the music off because it would make editing a nightmare and we don't, and we don't have the, uh, the, the rights to the music that's playing. So it just, it just can't happen. We have to turn all the TVs off. And so it's better to do that slowly, gradually turn the volume off, slowly turn off all the TVs so people don't even notice. And, um, and, and then, and arrive um they walk into the bar even though it's their neighborhood bar and the lights are all set up and everything's going and they're like oh cool our our this bar is doing something fun like we'll be supportive we might check it out we might say something or whatever but we're not going to be jerks and then and then once people start getting a little loose 
the people that were there before are going to speak up. They're going to stick up for you. You know, if someone walks in, what is all this? Like some drunk guy. And so, you know, we're usually, those are, those are the two rules. Now those rules before they were established, they were broken, right? Um, we went in during a, uh, a rugby game in Wales between Wales and France and Wales was losing. So, the production thought it'd be great if we went in halftime and interviewed everybody. Well, not only are they losing, but by halftime, everyone's everyone's drunk. I mean, guys were like, one guy spit out on the camera. I mean, it was just like, it was just, it was a mess. It was a mess, you know, like, and so we're like, okay, we're not going to do that again. We're not going to walk into some place where people are already drunk. And, uh, and then in Barcelona, the network had an idea that um, we would... Um, in, in, in Barcelona, there's a thing where basically people go out at six, and they and they six p.m. and they drink until six a.m. and um, or at least they wanted to convey that. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna. That doesn't make any sense to do. We're here for three days. Right. Let's just we can say that we're doing that. I mean, I I wouldn't suggest it, but let's just break it up, you know. And so they did, and there was a place we went into at midnight, and this place was packed. And we're on the street looking in. It's packed. All glass windows. It's just the front of the place was all glass. You know, along, along a street in, in, in Barcelona. And I was like, guys, I don't think this is a good idea. Like, we, we don't even have room. So the producer's like, let me go in and, and, and figure it out. And we asked the producer, or the, the, our fixer, which is a local translator, location scout, you think this is going to be fine? She's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. People here are easy, easy going, whatever. Like, okay. And so the producer went in and to like look at the place and um, and we saw him go in and we see these guys in there talking about us and our camera. And so one of the guy comes out. We just assume he's going to ask a question because that's what usually happens. And um, the uh, he, he walks up to us and then he grabs the camera. This is like a $60,000 camera rips it off the head of the tripod and then starts to run away with it. Oh, so I grab the guy, the camera guy and the sound guy grab the camera and I'm pulling the guy back and then he falls on the ground. Oh no. And, and his buddies for some reason weren't looking and, and then they saw, um, they saw me standing over their buddy. So they ran up to me, and they there was three guys, all bigger than me, and they run up, and they were about to, like, punch me. And I turned to them, and I said, no, no, you get inside right now. <laughs> and they stopped, like, and it was crazy. They stopped like like children, and they, were, and they picked up their buddy, and they went inside. Talk to them like, animals, so like dogs. If I would have put my yes, if, well, drunk people are not unlike dogs. If I would have put my if I would have put up my fists and tried to defend myself, it would have gone down. You know what yeah. I mean? But I just turned to them and I said no, and they were just like sure, you know, they didn't all Spanish. <laughs> but and then we went to the fixer. It was a woman, and we're just like, you said it would be fine. She's like, well, yes, but you know, people people like to drink. We're like, okay, you're you're not you're not good for advice. So, so those were that was the establishing of those two rules pretty pretty early on, and th neither one of those situations was like did I really feel threatened? I, I suppose they could have been. It's 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 not like I'm I, I'm you know I don't know how to say this, but like I, I'm I can take care of myself. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so I've never really been in a situation where I felt scared, but. You know, I, I, maybe some other people might might have been, but you know, I've I've seen I've seen some shit, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh, the potential was there for violence, but uh, the potential. It, it but didn't. as long as you, as long as you know how to diffuse it and end it, you can. So you know, look, right. a, a bunch of it is luck. We 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 now, we now follow those rules to a T, and we never get ourselves in trouble anymore. And by the way, like you know, Josh. The producer, he's a big guy. Like you know, it's like it. It, it doesn't hurt right. to just look like people you don't want to mess around with. <laughs> so you 
also wear the hat of writer, producer, and director for some of the things you've done. Is that to maintain the creative integrity of your projects, or is it just easier? Uh, yeah, that is exactly right. So, you know, when I did Three Sheets, I got a writing credit for some of the stuff we did in the field and stand-ups and stuff like that. Mike Kelly was the was the the executive producer and writer of all that, and he he gets he really gets the credit for that. When when we went and started doing Drinking Made Easy, and Chug and, and Four Sheets, um, we didn't have like that great team, and so I was training a new team, uh, and so I just wanted the show to be as good as possible. I, I've always been. My goal is always to under-promise and over-deliver. It's always what I try to do. When things are at... When I'm, I'm able to control things, I do that. Sometimes with manufacturing and stuff like that, with like, you know, some of our apparel, it, it, it problems arise um, and they have to be corrected. But when I'm able to control things, I can usually make sure that things are amazing. Like, you know, we got a budget for doing Drinking Made Easy, and we went over budget by about ten grand per episode, and that meant that that meant that I was spending my own money to make the show because the budgets were small enough. I wanted them to be amazing. Right. I knew that if I made an amazing episode, they would live on. If I just spent the money that was given to me, I I couldn't. And so you know, it's funny. I, I had a buddy that made a pilot for um for Mark Cuban while I was there, and I said. I'm happy to help you guys if you want. Like, no, we got it. We, we know what we're doing. Okay. And so they got a budget. Let's call it like 20 grand to make a, to make a sizzle reel or a pilot or something. And that's, that's fine. That's enough to make a sizzle reel. And so he sent me, he sent me this sizzle. And I'm like, um, what'd you spend on this? It's like, you know, whatever. He's like, wait, we spent 10 grand. I was like, well, I thought you got 20. He's like, yeah, I mean, we had to pay ourselves. Like, well, that's not, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't think I said anything. I was right. like, okay, whatever, because it's not really my place. But for me, if you're making a pilot, you have the potential of getting picked up for what I think we did 60 episodes, six zero at, at you know, from, from Mark Cuban. It's because we always delivered amazing content. Right. And sometimes I reach my pocket for it. But at the end of the day, it has built me a machine that that I can that you know that people understand that when I do something I do something right. Like this stand-up comedy, a lot of people that are going to this have not seen me do stand-up, but they see my shows and they go, oh, I, "I bet his stand-up's pretty good because his shows are good." Right. You know what I mean? So for me, if I was going to do a pilot and I got twenty grand, I probably would spend twenty-two thousand dollars to make it. Right. Because. You know, let's get get it made because once the pilot gets picked up, then you say, "Look, we probably need about forty k to make these, or what fifty, or whatever it is, what you know, on those HD net budgets." But you know that that's just how I've always operated it, and it, it's not always easy. Sometimes right. I sometimes I get myself into a pickle, but you know that's 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 how that's how we do it, especially in a in a, a genre of of television drinking. You know, like that's that's not really done. <laughs> What's Especially a, people drinking and having fun doing it, you know. Right. What's your uh, your go to hangover relief? Um. So you know the the real answer of that is um there is there is a cure, and again this is this is part of my stand up, but I'll I'll skip to the ending of it. It is it is um it is a it is a saline IV. And not, it's not like, that's not the easiest thing for people to get. Right. At one point it was like, Oh, Xanax is good or weed is good or a spicy sandwich is good. But like, <laughs> no, those, those are not going to get you back on your feet. You know, like the scene from, this is popping in my head now. So let's see if this works. The scene from back to the future one where Marty McFly is on stage and he starts to become invisible. Do you remember? Yeah. And he starts to like deteriorate and kind of fall down and knocks over the speaker and falls to the ground, whatever. And then they do this like reversal shot where he just pops up. Clearly, he actually falls down, but they reversed it to make it look like he just boop, pop right back up, like an inflatable droid getting filled instantaneously. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you get a saline IV, which are expensive, I mean, the saline IV is, is very inexpensive, but to get it, 
and sometimes they put vitamins in it. It's it's often like a hundred or 150 bucks. That thing will get you get you back on your feet in an incredibly short amount of time. Like uh, by the time that bag is empty, you're you're good to go. If my experience was, I had one of the worst hangovers I've ever had after going to this Guy Fieri party in, in Miami <laughs> and going to bed at like five. And my wife makes wakes me up at like nine or ten, and she's like, "You're ready to go get Cuban coffee?" Because we did that every morning. Every time we go to Miami, that's what we do. I was like, "I don't even know if I'll be alive in, in you know 15 minutes." <laughs> so she made an appointment at this IV place, and by the end of the IV place, I mean, literally, I mean, I was I was ready to to give my last rites on the floor of the bathroom, you know, an hour before. And now I'm like finishing up my IV, saying, "Let's go get Cuban sandwiches and mojitos. Let's do it." Because you you can't your body cannot absorb uh, liquid. It, you can you can pound a bunch of water. Your body's going to absorb, you know what, ten percent of it. And you pee the rest out. So an IV just goes right in there. I've seen there's a, a commercial, um, I guess, company that offers IV solutions. So uh, uh-huh. and with my medical background, yeah, I know I know how effective IVs can be, and oh, how yeah. life saving they can be. Any, uh, yeah, they're, they're life changing for sure. <laughs> Anything yeah. left on your bucket list given your experiences oh, my and your bucket travels? List is huge. I, I feel like I've, you know, the more you see, the more you realize you haven't done. It's kind of like when you get the older you get, the less you realize, you know, remember when you were 20 and you thought you knew everything and now, you know, you knew shit <laughs> and now, <laughs> and now what you do know, you realize you don't know. So like, it, it's, it's kind of those things. Like I, I am. I, me and the rest of the world, like I cannot wait. I'm so ready to get back out there and travel again. Yeah. Um, and to do these shows and to visit 90 cities is going to just be exhausting, but amazing. I'm ready for the, I, I, I'm no stranger to hard work, but to be able to go around and see these cities and enter the energy of, of a room full of people and just all these things. And then, you know, we're talking about, this tour is selling out so quickly. I'm like, I, I almost don't even need to like to like promote it, but um, it's um, um, we we might actually go and do a tour in uh, in Australia uh, after this in like late January or something like that. So because why wouldn't you, right? Right. <laughs> it's only the most dangerous place in the world, but you know we'll go there. Yeah. Well, of course. If you're- <laughs> As far as animals and insects, yes, of course. But you know, we'll try. We'll try to stay like you know in the city. To jump, uh, jump towards your your entrepreneurial stuff. Can you elaborate about the three trees that your company plants when people yes. buy your products? Yes, the I have always been uh, attuned to the the natural world around me i, I would say that i'm envir- i'm an environmentalist but I, but that tends up being a trigger word that shuts a lot of people down right it's like someone saying that they're like a vegan or something like that it's <laughs> like just order the food we don't need to hear you talk about it, it. Does you're, CrossFit. Yeah, you're, okay, you're, yeah yeah crossfit yeah gluten-free okay got it you know it's so it's like i've always been attuned to the world of the natural world around me and the more that I travel, especially to developing countries, I realize like we we need to things need to change. So I said to myself, I'm not in a position to make change. I you know to in in, in others to, to make others inspire change and, and inspire others to make change. I would do that and. In my mind, it was like, let me get to a place of financial independence. So if I piss a bunch of people off, I don't need to worry about losing them as, as a fan. Now it's like, come on. If, if, if you don't see that the world needs some help, the natural world needs some help, then, you know, we don't. It, it's, it, it, that's not political. That is, right. that, that is just a statement. And, it, and if anyone who's got eyes, anyone who, every single person who's traveled outside the United States understands what I'm saying. So, Except to Canada. If you've only been to Canada, you don't understand. <laughs> so the, you know, with, with advent, so, so I just got to a point where I'm like, you know what? The time is now. I, I'm not, I'm not financially independent, but I, I'm going to start making a difference. And so we decided with my apparel company to call it adventure with a three in there. 
So people would ask what the three is about, and we can tell them it's to plant three trees. So with every purchase, we plant three trees. We started doing it with a company called Archangel Ancient Tree Archive that were planting old-growth clones of old-growth trees, like the largest redwood, the largest sequoia, the largest maple, like all that kind of stuff. Um, they, they are great, but they weren't planting them at the rate that we could, you know, that we could do it. Right. Um, so we are now planting with a company called Green Forest Work, um, and people can Google them. They plant trees in the Appalachian region where a lot of strip mining has happened. Right. And so the people that recently the regulations are a little bit better, but not awesome. When you're done strip mining, you basically just bulldoze it and then you walk away. Um, but that is that um, would take like several hundred years for enough plant life to decay and for trees to actually move in. So none of those areas um, can have trees live in them. So the green forest work goes in and tills the soil, plants trees, gets them going, and uh, and, and plants trees in, in that region. I like that we're planting them in, in, in the U.S. Um, and the, the amazing part of that is that the areas that they are planting, um, people might think, like, yeah, how many strip mines are there, really? I mean, come on. It's not that big of an area. <laughs> it's a million square miles. Wow. Wait, miles or acres? Excuse me. It's a million acres. That's still a um, lot. Either it's way, it's still, a lot. It's still a lot. E either, way, the, either way, the number is unfathomable. So, you know, it's it, it's just a massive, massive amount of, of of area that just needs to be reforested. And they and their before and afters are amazing. Like five years after they plant trees, boom, ecosystem. Nice. And, you know, one of the things about the reasons we chose trees rather than a specific animal or anything like that is that if you don't like trees, you're an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't need to be a tree hugger to appreciate a freaking tree. You right. know what I mean? Like trees make oxygen. They filter groundwater they filter the air without trees we'd be dead like come yeah. on it's trees like if you don't you can't hate trees i have a so, massive maple in front of my house that i put a ladder up just so my kid can climb up and just hang out because he just loved doing that yep yep and i'm i look out at my front yard here i'm in la and i have made it so that when i look out my front and my office is in the front of the house when i look out uh, it used to be that I saw the street. Now all I see is green, all kinds of trees. And some some guy was like, you know, we 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 built onto our house, and some guy's like, man, your house looks so pretty. Why don't you cut down all, all these trees so people can see it? I'm like, that that is the weirdest thing. <laughs> First of all, what do I care that people can see my house? What why do I care that someone passing by admires something that I've done without me knowing? It's just the weirdest thing. Like, nope, I'd rather just not. I'd rather not see the guy that's admiring me. You Maybe know I, I mean? want the trees there to conceal myself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, I guess one of the last questions I have is what kind of products are, um, does Adventure sell? Is it more geared towards a well, specific you know, outfit or adventure it's, type? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very specific. So you know, we started doing travel apparel, and we moved all of our production in 2020 before the pandemic, we decided we are going to move our production 100% to the U.S. And that was done with the absolute best of intentions, both to lower our carbon footprint, um, to make, uh, to help out, you know, local economies here, um, to make it so we could um, visit the manufacturers and make sure that we're getting the best product available. And unfortunately... For anybody who's in, in manufacturing, they're listening to this saying, like, that's not possible, and that is just the case. You cannot produce high-end apparel in the U.S. The technology is not here. The labor is not here. Um, it, and the, the, the companies that, to do it are just not here. There are some things that are made, some shirts and some soft goods and stuff like that, but it's not, it's not what we wanted to do. So it cost us three times as much to make apparel that's not any better than what we can make overseas. 
So now we are working with uh, what's called blue sign companies, and blue sign are the most stringent of of um, of environmental standards. There's a lot of blue sign companies, but it costs a lot of money to get and maintain a blue sign uh, certification. The companies we're dealing with are actually more environmentally uh, uh, safe. Um, you know, stable than even the companies we were working with here. Um, the the carbon footprint after doing research, we found that making the stuff overseas at the end of the day is actually uh, lowers our carbon footprint. Uh, and as far as manufacturing, we we have great manufacturing partners and we have amazing stuff that's rolling out. So we do everything from we we do travel apparel. So we do travel jackets that fold into pillows. We do like a windbreaker. We do parkas. Um, we have all we have compression socks and all kinds of amazing, um, you know, travel great travel sweats like the, the kind of pants you would want to wear if you're traveling on the plane and you know or exploring like that kind of stuff is what we do. So we're not into the super technical like climb a mountain, climb the Himalayas, but I mean our products are tested to you know, 30 below zero and, you know, for, for the parkas, for right. example, and everything. And we don't use any animal products in anything that we make. Um, so no down, no, no fur and nothing like that. Uh, and, and then we plant the three trees. So we, we make really amazing stuff. And now we actually have a brick and mortar in Seattle that is just waiting to open um, because of just, you know, COVID restrictions, but right. pretty soon people will actually be, go, be able to, I mean, we are online. But people will be able to go in there and just put their hands on stuff, which right. is nice. Big thing, big selling factor for some people is to yeah. feel the tangible material before they. Uh, yeah, I'd like. I'd like. Yeah, exactly. I noticed. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of you clean shaven. I noticed you're clean shaven. <laughs> is that just something you so, do on regular, or? You know what happened was I, I had I have not clean I've not shaven my face completely in at least three years. I've always had some sort of beard and my, my buddy has a food, has a restaurant. And so he was able to get the COVID, um, the shot. And, and I, he knows that I want to get it. I'll get it as soon as I can get it. Um, I'm traveling and you know, it just, it'd be, it'd be silly for me to be doing the traveling or really anything without getting the shot. So, um, he said, Hey, just so you know, <laughs> it was like partly serious. Um, you can now in LA County get the shot if you're homeless and you don't, and you don't have to prove anything. Um, you just have to sign a piece of paper and it's not like a big deal. He's like, and you know, like if you really wanted to do it with your beard, you kind of look homeless just, you know, and I was like, <laughs> okay, this is, this is, okay. I'm shaving. <laughs> so I went up to just trim my beard cause it, it got to like a little bit grizzly Adams it was like, you know, people can't see, but it was down to like almost, you know, like my, my chest. And I was like, you know, scraggly on the side. I'm like, maybe I'll trim it. And I was like, ah, you know, it's screwed. I'll just, I'll just shave the whole thing. So I shaved it. You know, I talked to my wife. I'm like, what do you think I should have on this tour? Because I have a bunch of jokes about beards because beards are very popular in, you know, in the craft beer community. And I said, so I'm thinking about just having a big old beard. And she's like, I think that you're going to 90 venues your picture is going to be everywhere. I think you should, you know, so she even said, now that you're clean shaven, take a photo every day. And then from now until maybe three months or whatever it is, and then we'll look at the photos and figure out which one was the best. And then that is the length you, you should be. I'm like, got okay, it. fair enough. So that was her saying like, thank God for you shaved your beard. Yeah, <laughs> My wife hates it when I have anything, anything remotely close to stubble. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, so I, I have this massive inability to grow facial hair. I look ridiculous. So I usually get a little bit of scruff and then I shave every few days. So I, I have, I grow a decent beard, but when it gets long, it's a little bit strange. My buddy, Steve McKenna has, I don't know, an abundance of testosterone or something weird <laughs> where I, if I grow my beard for a month, it's like a half inch. It just, it doesn't look like much at all. You wouldn't necessarily like, Hey, go, 
go talk to that guy with the beard. You'd be like, go talk to that guy in the blue shirt. You know what I mean? Whereas my buddy, Steve McKenna, if he grows his beard for a month, it is like legit. So we were out on tour, the first tour, and we were gone for 87 days. On, we know which city it was. It was like Salt Lake City. So it was like day, like 70. His beard was so, I mean, it was to the middle of his chest. It was massive. He was sitting outside one time when we were um, uh, sh- at a shoot, and we would we would go in and we're like, especially with his his gross beard. Steve, you just wait out here. We'll go in, introduce ourselves, start get, getting set up, and then we'll bring you in. We don't we don't like to walk in with like seven people because people are like a little intimidated. Right. So it's like M- Mel and Josh and I will walk in first. Then it's like, hey, so could we bring in the lights? Oh yeah, come on in. Then you bring in all the lights and the sound stuff. So then it's like you kind of slowly brought yourself in rather than banging down the door and walking in with a gang. And so we're talking to the guy, whatever. He's like, uh, you know, sorry, hold on one second. And he goes outside, and Steve is sitting in front of the place. Oh, no. And at this point, he was smoking a cigarette. And I think he was on his phone, like texting or something like that. And the guy goes, hey, buddy, beat it. <laughs> we're doing a shoot here I told all you guys that to, to stop hanging around here and he's like sorry we, we have a homeless problem I'm like yeah he, he's with us <laughs> so like, he literally went zero to homeless in like 60 days it took me you know like to, mine is probably I've been, I, I was growing my beard at least since January like from you know from scruff so uh, yeah anyway um, I think we've come to the point where I'm going to ask some really bizarre or potentially bizarre questions just to okay, go for it. throw it out there and we'll go sure. see where it goes. Would you rather live in a windmill or a lighthouse? Oh, man. Pass. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, Gosh. I'm going to say a windmill, but the reason I say the windmill is because I, I, I really always want to live on water. But the windmill sounds like it's on this very pleasant canal, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I love the lighthouse, but it could get windy, and it might be someplace very cold. Fair point. I think I would go with the the lighthouse. There's just something about lighthouses that I love. You know, the, the whole point of what they established or what they were it's, for. It's true, but a lighthouse is nothing but stairs. You know that, right? <laughs> it's put like, a lift in whereas, it. <laughs> whereas a windmill is like a house with a, with a fan attached to it. Fair enough. <laughs> I'll, I'll find a way around navigating all the okay. hundreds of If you of want stairs. to put a windmill on the ocean, we can talk. <laughs> Would you rather have a photographic memory or heightened senses? Um, uh, man, is this like the, the, like, like the, like the movie Limitless where everything I see I remember? Yeah, I, I, I would think so. All that? I'll, I'll take that. So everything I've ever heard i can recall it i'll take that that'd be good yeah i i agree with that i think i'd much rather have that than enhanced hearing there's some things that i would never want to hear and yeah well no i was also thinking like my my like sense of touch is you know so when anyone like like a wind blows and my skin curls or <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah i'd go with the photographic memory yeah i'll take that and the last one to wrap things up uh where'd it go would you rather plant have a plant or a goldfish that talks to you? Um, I'm going to say a plant because I'd hate to have a talking goldfish and have my cats eat it. I, the, his last like words are like, Zane, you said you'd never let this happen. Whereas a plant could like sit on my desk and I can actually ask him stuff. How about a plant that has a photographic memory? Like That's not so bad. If only I have a plant that instead of Siri, I have my plant tell me things. <laughs> Um, I would agree with the plant. Um, I think plants are a little easier to take care of, um, a longer lifespan. And unless it's uh, Audrey from Little Hot Shop of Horrors, yes. I, I'd be I'd be good yes. with that. So you, you, Yeah. You did not specify whether it's a plant, <laughs> but that, that, that's a good point. So to, to wrap things up, where can people, one, follow you, find ways to, to get tickets that might be available for I, your tour and stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm unique enough where no one else has my name. So you can go to zanelamprey.com um, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm Zane Lamprey. So you can you can find any of those places. Got it. If you go to zanelamprey.com, it's, it's all there. Everything's there. I will make sure yeah. to put that in our in our show notes. And uh, Thank you. on that note, 
thank you very much for uh, giving me some of your time. I appreciate it. You got it, man. It was, it was cool hanging with you. Thanks for having me on the, on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.